Why should we care about the resurrection? Why should we care about the resurrection? Some people might struggle with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. They may have a very difficult time to believe uh, the, the fact that Jesus uh, would rise from the dead. But other people, perhaps most people today, that may not be, for them, that may not be their biggest struggle. Instead, for others, uh, perhaps most people today, a bigger struggle and a bigger obstacle they sense is, is the sense of irrelevance. The issue, why should I care? What should that do different to me that Jesus has risen from the grave? Before we get into the Bible passage that we will read this morning from John chapter 20, um, I would like to suggest two reasons why all people should care deeply about the resurrection of Jesus. The first reason is for believers. Uh, Believers, here's why we should care deeply about the resurrection of Jesus. If Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith would be futile and our preaching would be in vain. Now, some people may be very happy to hear that our preaching would be in vain. The Bible claims that this, this would be a possibility on one condition. If Jesus had not raised or been raised from the dead. So Christians... For us, the resurrection is a big deal because if it was not the case, if it had not happened, then everything we believe, everything we do when we gather, everything we hear would all be in vain. With one truth, with this one thing, proven false, the entire Christian message would be proven to be false and futile and in vain. That's why the resurrection, dear friends, is such a big deal. That's why Easter Sunday is a big deal. That's why Christians invite one another and invite others to come to church, at least on Easter Sunday. Why? Because if, if what we celebrate here would not be true, everything would be false. But if, if what we celebrate here today is truth, then everything that Jesus said, everything he did, makes sense and affects us. For unbelievers... The resurrection of Jesus is a critical event for another reason. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul says that God commands people everywhere to repent of their sin. Because he has ordained a day when God will judge all the earth through Jesus. How do we know that God will do that? Paul's argument in Acts 17 is that God gave evidence that he will do that, that he, will ha- that he has a day when he will judge all the earth through Jesus, and that he commands everyone to repent. How do we know that? He has left us an evidence. And the evidence, the Apostle Paul says, the evidence that God left us is that God resurrected Jesus from the dead. So for non-Christians, the resurrection of Jesus is critical Because it serves as God's evidence and God's assurance 
that they need to repent before the coming day of judgment. Well, with these two thoughts in mind, I'd like to point our attention to the event that transpired on the resurrection morning. And this morning, we are looking at John 20 to understand the events that led to the announcement that Jesus had been resurrected. John 20. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, if you just don't have one at all, we would love for you to take this Bible home for you to have it. It's yours. We'd love for you to keep it and read it. And uh, this morning, we are reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, from verse 1 all the way to verse 18. This morning, God's Word uh, tells us the following. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached to the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. Would you bow in prayer with me, asking God to bless the preaching of his word. O Lord, 
we have heard your word. Now we desire to understand it. We desire to have hearts that are open to hear it and to receive it. We pray that you would do so through the powerful power of the resurrection of Christ for his glory and honor through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Easter puts us face to face with the one who conquered death. Not in the sense that he came back to life from a clinical death. Not in the sense of being resuscitated. No, Easter puts us face to face with the one who conquered death forever. Once and for all. Receiving a body that will never, ever see corruption. He was resurrected in a glorious body. A body that was physical, yet not limited by physical limitations we experience. A new kind of physical experience. A new kind of physical body that we are promised to receive at the final day of the resurrection. My prayer this morning is that we would be reminded of the radical truth that Christianity proclaims. That the Messiah, who died crucified, as cursed by God, conquered death for himself and for all those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ. Jesus died as a curse by God, not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it. Yet because he was obedient to the Father's plan to redeem, to rescue rebellious sinners, God raised Jesus from the dead. But as glorious as this news is, when we read the accounts of the, of the resurrection, what happened, what transpired in the morning of the resurrection, we are surprised how feeble the disciples were to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. This morning, as we look at this passage, I would like for us to understand how the disciples came to believe and understand and embrace that Jesus rose from the dead. The passage we read this morning is written from the perspective of John, uh, the, one of the, the, the disciples of Jesus. And, and the story of the resurrection is included in all four of the Gospels. But the Apostle John in this Gospel has some unique details that are not found in the other Gospels. And this morning, I would like for us to look at these two accounts, two stories of, of Peter and John um, going to the tomb, and then of Mary encountering Jesus. If you'd like to take notes, we'll look at two points. The first point is the disciples, the disciples are slow to believe the resurrection. The disciples are slow to believe the resurrection. The story of the resurrection of Jesus starts off with a first impression that the followers of Jesus had when they saw the empty tomb. And it was not like many people do today when they, if they go to Jerusalem, to Israel to visit uh, the, the, the places where Jesus walked and they want to go to the empty tomb and they want to take a picture with the empty tomb. And it's not that kind of visit. It's not that kind of excitement. I want us to go to the very first visit to the empty tomb. And point to us the reality that the first followers of Jesus who went on the first 
resurrection morning walked away from the empty tomb. And the conclusion they have drawn is they have taken him away. That's how the story of the resurrection begins. With a first impression that Mary Magdalene has when she goes to the tomb and realizes that Jesus is not there. She returns and tells Peter and the disciples they have taken him away. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Friends, this observation is helpful because it reveals to us that even the followers of Jesus, they were not gullible. They were not just uh, easily impressionable. Sometimes people today may have the impression, oh, of course, people in the first century, you know, they were not as scientifically informed. They were not as smart as we are today. Uh, Friends, um, if we read the account of the resurrection, we realize that even the, the followers of Jesus the ones who were with Jesus for three years and heard his teaching, heard his, saw his miracles, were with him. When the resurrection morning happens, the first reaction they have is not he's alive, but rather they've taken him away. We have no idea where he's at. Last week we considered what Jesus has been teaching the disciples. Last week we looked at John 2. When Jesus was in the temple, he cleansed the temple and told the Jewish leaders to destroy the temple that he, and he will rise it up again in three days. And Jesus was not speaking about the physical temple, but about the temple of his body. But all those who heard the words of Jesus had no idea what he was talking about. But then as Jesus went on in the Gospel of John, we get to John 10, where Jesus said the following words to the disciples and to those who heard him. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus taught clearly that he would die and that he would raise again. In other words, Jesus did not keep this truth uh, in, in secret or in darkness from the disciples. But here they were on the resurrection morning. They come to the empty tomb and they draw a natural conclusion that Jesus' body was taken away. It was a natural conclusion. Anyone could walk away from that experience with the same conclusion. But the gospel tells us it was the wrong conclusion. As the events of that resurrection morning unfold, we see the disciples, Peter and and John, uh, come to examine the empty tomb. They go to the tomb to examine the evidence. Look at verse 6. Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, if Jesus' body had been removed by some friends or stolen by some enemies... There was no reason why anyone would take the time in the middle of the night to take the linen out off of Jesus' dead body and then to take the, the face linen as well and to fold it up nicely and put it away separately. There's no reason why anyone would do that if they were going to take Jesus' body away from the tomb or steal it. 
The evidence that these two disciples examined made it difficult for them to accept Mary's initial conclusion that Jesus' body had been taken away. In verse 8, we're told that the disciple that Jesus loved entered the tomb. And his reaction is quite telling. Verse 8, then the other disciple had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. God confirms the resurrection of Jesus by laying evidence in the empty tomb. Not only was the tomb left empty, but the evidence in the tomb challenged the, the natural conclusion, the incredulous disciples to understand that Jesus' body was neither removed nor stolen. Later on that first day of, of Easter, Resurrected Sunday, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. And they were going, going to believe because they will have seen him. They would become eyewitnesses who have seen and touched the resurrection Christ. But here John tells us that he came to believe even before seeing Jesus. The empty tomb with the linen cloths led behind sparked in John belief. But there's something else in this passage. The gospel writer is not content to leave the story of the two disciples here and just stop at this moment. It goes on in verse 9. Notice what we read in verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. In other words, on that Sunday morning of the resurrection, the Apostle John believed even before seeing Jesus, but he believed because he saw the tomb and the linen cloths lying behind. But he wants to tell us he saw and believed. Why that formula, saw and believed? Because of verse 9. Because they have not yet understood the scripture. Friends, this is an indictment. This is not a positive. In other words, the implication is that they should have understood the scriptures, which refers to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God predicted that the Holy One of God will not see the corruption that comes from death. Psalm 16:10 For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption wrote David This means that God planned for the resurrection long before and he wrote about it long before it actually happened centuries before it happened but the disciples had not understood the scriptures so their faith was not able to rely on the word of God but on seeing evidence. They should have believed the resurrection of Jesus because of what God revealed in the Bible. If anything, we might say they should have believed the resurrection of Jesus because of what Jesus taught just a few years earlier. Now, what this means is that John wants us to understand that we should believe the resurrection because of what God had said in His Word. Not merely because we see and believe. Later on in this chapter, Jesus will say to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. 
In other words, if we had a choice of believing based on what God says in His Word, or to believe based on what we see, it is better to believe by taking God at His Word. That faith is better. And yet God, knowing the feebleness of our faith, that we struggle to believe what we hear from Him, God gave the disciples on that first day of the resurrection ample evidence to help them see that even though their hearing was dull and slow to believe what the prophets have, writ- have written in the past, that they might have the evidence that would lead them to believe that Jesus indeed was resurrected. Friends, God is not going to withhold this evidence from Jesus' disciples and followers. That's why he left the empty tomb with the linen cloths in it. But as we come to consider the resurrection of Jesus, we're called to see that before the empty tomb with the linen cloths, God prepared his people to believe the resurrection by speaking to them before it happened. Friend, if you are seeking the truth about God, one of the best things you can do is to consider reading the Bible and meeting with another believer to read it and understand it. As you begin reading and understanding the Bible, God brings faith as you hear His Word. If we want to grow in our faith, read the Scripture, study it, meditate it, so that our faith would deepen as we encounter God's promises. And for us who are here 21st centuries, 21 centuries later, the only means we can experience the living Christ is as we encounter Him in the written Word or in the proclaimed Word. The disciples were slow to believe the resurrection. If you're slow to believe the resurrection, my friends, you're in good company. But don't give up. Let's look at Mary. Mary is one of the followers of Jesus who's also slow to believe. Verses 11 through 18, John focuses on the events that led Mary from her initial conclusion to come to recognize how did she come to experience that he Jesus is alive. Look at the story in in verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. Now, this is a little bit of a remarkable detail that if if we don't consider carefully, it's easy for us to miss. Jesus is going to appear here to Mary in this passage. And she appear, he appears first time to, to women rather than to men. In ancient times, the testimony of women was not considered valid in court settings. Yet Jesus chooses to appear first of all to a woman. The first who got to cling to Jesus' physical resurrected body was a woman. And I don't know if there's any connection or not, but I cannot help but think in the history of redemption, in the history of mankind, it was the touch of a woman that got the human race on a wrong path as Eve touched the apple, took it, and bit from it in disobedience. And I wonder if there's any connection with Jesus being touched for the first time in his resurrected body by another woman. At least, I present it as a possibility. 
that Jesus shows himself, appears to Mary Magdalene, a woman, and the first one to have the hope of the, of the resurrected Jesus, uh, the first one to see the full evidence of the, of the resurrected body of Jesus is a woman. But it's not just any woman. It's not just any Mary. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's Mary Magdalene. Why does that matter? Because Mary Magdalene is the one out of which Jesus, some months ago prior or a year or two prior to that, Jesus cast out seven evil spirits. And the fact that Jesus shows up for the first time to a woman who had just been liberated from seven demonic spirits and from a life of great sin shows us that when Jesus grants us forgiveness, He does not keep track of the past. It mattered little that Mary had such a bad past. Here she was, rescued by Jesus from the world of darkness, from the domain of of the demonic influence. And Jesus bestows upon her now the privilege of being the first woman to whom the resurrected Jesus appears. Friends, in the sight of God, God does not rank us according to how bad our past was. I don't want to speak here to any listener who might feel the weight of sin and feel that your sin is too great, take this as a great comfort. Jesus' ability to restore us to himself does not keep track of how bad our past was. Jesus decides to appear for the first time to those whom we may not consider strategic or powerful or having some sort of of a great past. No, Jesus appears to those who we might think deserve it the least. But when Jesus renews someone, when Jesus saves someone, He makes them a new creation. And here, Mary is chosen by Jesus to be the first one that would announce, that would experience the resurrected Christ. Now, at this point in the story, Mary still thinks that Jesus is dead. She still thinks that Jesus' body was taken away. But notice Mary's love for Jesus in desiring to find Jesus' body, even though she assumed he was still dead. Mary's deep sadness shows up very clearly for three times she's described as weeping. She's even asked twice, why are you weeping? Not only is her sadness so, so deep that she's described three times as weeping, but she gets an encounter with two angels that were sitting in the tomb, and she doesn't doesn't get it. If any of us would have any encounter with with two angels, we might be startled. She's not. She's not moved. Nothing changes her course of, of grief and pain and weeping. Mary allows her weeping to miss God's special messengers, the angels. Not only is Mary's grief leading her to miss the angels, she actually misses Jesus as well. We know that Jesus um, appeared often um, at, to the disciples after the resurrection. And in some of the occasions when he did appear to them, he appeared as a stranger. Like people would not be able to recognize him based on his physical appearances. We don't know if that's the case in this case with Mary or not. It's possible also that Mary, given the deep pain and the weeping that she had, that she was just not able to see well who was sitting next to her. In verse 14, Mary turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that he was Jesus. And Jesus asks her two questions. Mary, woman, why are you weeping? 
Whom are you seeking? And Mary's answer continues to show us her devotion to Jesus on one side and her misguided theory on the other side. Verse 15, supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. How ironic. Because Mary thinks she's talking to the gardener, she assumes that the man standing next to her might be the reason why Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb. How true that was. Yet up to this moment, Mary's eyes and faith are still closed off. Here she is in the presence of Jesus. Jesus has asked her two questions, and Mary is still not realizing who she's speaking to. The two questions Jesus asked were significant. Why are you weeping? Jesus shows the acknowledgement of her grief and the desire to understand what causes Mary her trouble. But Jesus also realizes that Mary is looking for someone. She's looking for the dead body of Jesus. And notice what Jesus does next. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's interesting and significant that it is the calling of Mary by name, uttered by Jesus, that lifts the veil of her unbelief, of the darkness that clouded her eyes and her faith. Earlier in John 10, the passage I read earlier, I referenced earlier, Jesus spoke that he is the good shepherd. And Jesus said that the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And here stands Jesus, the good shepherd, calling Mary by name. Friends, no wonder that Mary's message is changed. Instead of continuing to say, they have taken the Lord, I don't know where they have put him, she will now say, I have seen the Lord. Why? Because Jesus appeared to her and called her by name. The encounter with Jesus puts an end to Mary's grief and disbelief. She had longed to find Jesus' body. She assumed that she would be looking for a dead body. But what she gets instead is a living Lord. And when Mary sees Jesus, her reaction is wanting to cling to Him. Here you see the devotion of Mary wanting to hold on to Jesus. Now some folks might say that the clinging of Mary to Jesus and Jesus' response in verse 17 would mean that Jesus would say something like, Don't touch me or don't cling me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. As if you can only touch me when I ascend to the Father. I'm not convinced by that interpretation. In, in the last part of chapter 20, Jesus would show up to Thomas and say, Thomas, come, put your hand on, in my hands. Put your hand in, in my side and see. See and believe. Jesus was not afraid to have people touch him. But in this moment, in verse 17, when Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What Jesus is saying is, Mary, you don't have to hold on to me now. You'll see me for a little while longer before I ascend to the Father. I'm giving you a mission. Don't hold on to me now as if staying here. Go and tell my brothers. This is a time of joy, said one commentator. And sharing the good news, not for clutching on Jesus as if Jesus was some jealously guarded private dream come true. Faith is never supposed to be a private thing. Faith is never supposed to be a private thing. Just you and Jesus. The very part of the Christian message, the very sign that we are experiencing the true Christian message is that it awakens us. And it sends us out. Oh, dear friends, if you're afraid to be called to go, if you're afraid to bring your faith to, to, into the public as these three have done, friends, why would you be afraid if the one who's calling you is the resurrected Jesus? The risen Christ has a message to communicate to his disciples through Mary. She tells her in verse 17, Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending. My Father and your Father. To my God and your God. The death of resur- and the resurrection of Jesus now calls the disciples to recognize that the Father of Jesus Christ is not only his Father, but their Father as well. Jesus is indeed the only way to the Father. And because Jesus rose from the dead, now he made possible the way for his followers, for anyone who would follow him, To come to the Father and call Him our Father, my Father. I wonder if God is your Father this morning. Do you live life in a way relating to God as your Father, as your God? Jesus died and rose again in order to make this message possible. I love how the Gospel of John began. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. I wonder, I wonder if this can describe you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you have conquered death through your son Jesus. You have provided the full penalty for our sin and rebellion because of what Jesus has done through his obedient death on the cross. And you have proven to us that we now have a way to you to call you our Father and our God because of what Jesus has done for us. May we walk in that identity. May we walk with that truth in our hearts and lives the glory of your great name.